2: Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.
3: Hi, I'm Rick Tittle, and this is the Rick Tittle Podcast on the Eight Side Network. Join me as I get busy with the biggest names in sports and entertainment. Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you, syndicated coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. We had him. In 2017 for The Force, and he was also on my show for Broken a couple of years ago, and we welcome back New York Times best-selling author Don Winslow, the brand new book from William Morrow Publishing, City on Fire. Stephen King calls Don one of America's greatest storytellers. Don, welcome to the show, and as I was just saying, it's your third time on the show. Does it usually take two or three years to get a book just right?
4: Yeah, that that sounds about right, Rick. Yeah, Uh, usually about two years. Listen, I've I've gone as six. I've gone as short as maybe four or five months uh, with a book called Savages a while back. But two years is about right, yeah.
3: Now, in your mind, I'm sure you have the idea for the book, and then as it fleshes out, does it just flow out of your fingers into the keyboard, <laughs> or do you have to be Ted Kaczynski and lock yourself in a shack?
4: Man, I wish it just flowed out of my fingers. That would be great, you know. The actual answer is a lot more boring. I, I Like most people, I just go to work, you know. I, I start work at 5.30 in the morning. I take, you know, average breaks, and I finish up around 5 or 5.30 in the afternoon, and and that's what it takes, you know.
3: You know, when I think about savages, and that was a, uh, I think Oliver Stone movie, right? That's right. Yep. Um, yep. When when you see something, and I, you know, it has to be turned into a screenplay, obviously. Mm-hmm. But do you sit there and die a thousand deaths because "quote unquote" they're <laughs> doing it wrong, or are you loving every minute of it?
4: <laughs> Depends on what it is. Depends on which it is. You know, I've had both experiences. You know, I've had an experience where I was kind of cringing at a film, and i don't I don't want to mention the title because it was nice people trying to do it, you know, uh, and with savages, you know I was pretty happy with it. But I've been around the pool a few times, you know, and so I've learned that that film and novels are two different breeds of cat and and they have different needs and and so changes have to be made. I just want the changes to be justified.
3: All right. Let's talk about City on Fire, your new novel. uh, What's it all about?
4: It's about a guy named Danny Ryan, um, who starts the book as a longshoreman and a fisherman. He marries into the uh, Irish mob, marries the daughter of the Irish mob boss in Providence, Rhode Island, and uh, and then is dragged into a war uh, with the Italian mafia. And it's the first of a trilogy, by the way, so there'll be two more uh, following Danny's life.
3: I like it. That's how you know when you're successful. You're like, yeah, I got two more coming. <laughs>
4: you know what? I've already written
3: them. <laughs> oh, man. This is like starting Star Wars with Episode Four. It's already in the can. Uh?
4: <laughs> it's already there. It's already there.
3: <laughs> well, I noticed on Twitter, it, I've never seen anything like it, and I retweeted it when I knew you were going to be on the show today, that you have these like very talented... Uh, Gaelic dancers, the the Gardener Brothers, and they're dancing, brothers. Yeah, dancing on two of your giant books. It's like yeah. half Michael Jackson, half Riverdance. <laughs> what's, what's going on there?
4: You know what? I mean, there are all kinds of ways to go out and market a book and promote a book. And we just thought, you know, and like guys who do the marketing, not me, you know, thought it'd be just fun to do something quirky. You know, and something fun. Give people forty-six seconds or whatever it is of of just fun for a change. You know, a little, a little breathing
3: space. It's like we need to get the readers on TikTok. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When you create a character, um, and uh, you think about, I always wonder, like you know, you think well. Do do I make him or her beautiful or ugly? How flawed do I want this character to be? How much of this yeah. character is actually Don Winslow myself or maybe the person I want to be? You know, how much of that is in there?
4: Listen, I always think that, that there's a little self-identification, you know, because you're talking about human feelings and, and therefore you, you often consult your own. I'm certainly not Danny but we share an Irish Catholic background and we share being from a little fishing village um, in New England. You know, Uh, I think flawed characters are certainly more interesting than perfect characters. You know, a a Dudley Do-Wright cartoon is great for about three minutes and and Mm -hmm. then it's not. Uh, So, you know, I, I love exploring the flaws in the internal conflicts.
3: No doubt. Now, I mentioned Twitter. You're very, very active on Twitter. You you have your you have your views and um and 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 as you know, my friend Shudy Babbitt, who used to play for the A's, he said Twitter is 99 percent evil. Would you go higher than that? <laughs>
4: no, not necessarily. Listen, any form of media has its good and has its evil, and it just it's it's like anything else in the world. It depends on what you do with it.
3: hmm And uh, how many people? I mean, have you ever had anybody threaten you or anything?
4: Yeah, yeah. I don't, you know, I don't talk about it a lot. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't take it all that seriously, mm-hmm. you know, but but yes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's not good. Um the book is already number 1 on Amazon, the number 1 novel. Yeah, and crazy, it, huh? con- congratulations. Um, Thank you. Is that the kind of thing where, be careful what you wish for, because on the one hand, it's every author's dream. But on the other hand, if you don't come through, the disappointment will be palpable.
4: You know, there's always pressure, right? There's always pressure when a book comes out because you don't want to disappoint the publisher. You know, you don't want to disappoint the booksellers. Uh, And so, sure, you, you definitely feel that.
3: You were at. Um, are, you, are you going to Book Passage tonight, or was that last? Yeah, night?
4: T- no, tonight. That's yeah, tonight. Yeah, just, just here in a motel in Cortemadera. Yeah,
3: yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, we used to do a show with them about twenty years ago. Oh yeah. Yeah, they yeah. do a great job over there. At book. Make sure you get up there to Book Passage. You're going to sign just flat objects only. No baseball bats.
4: Sign whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> Love to sign some baseball bats. You know, I I uh, I once got a chance to throw out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. One of the most terrifying and and great experiences of my life. So, <laughs> yeah, I'll sign baseball bats. Bring them on, but don't swing them at me. That's all
3: <laughs> I threw out a first pitch one time at a at a minor league game, and and yeah, I I threw a strike, and I was just thinking somebody it was, actually Bill Burr threw out a first pitch at Fenway oh, last yeah. week. Yeah, and, and somebody said, whatever you do, don't bounce it. And he goes, or what? I'm a 52-year-old comedian. What, I have to throw a strike?
4: <laughs> I, um, hey, you know what I'm doing this summer? There's a little minor league uh, baseball team in my town in Rhode Island where we live. You know, where I grew up where this book's set, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm sponsoring Stolen Bases. So after every Stolen Base, you'll hear the announcer say, that Stolen Base was brought to you by Don Winslow's Crime Novels.
3: Wow. How about That's that? Yeah. And it's a minor league thing, so that was only a $50 deal, huh? <laughs>
4: a little more than that.
3: <laughs> What's the name of the team?
4: Uh, the Ocean State Waves. They're all college kids. You know, it's a league around New oh, England. Oh, it's, it's,
3: the, it's the Cape Cod League?
4: No, it's a different league, but very similar. To okay. That. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, Bristol, Connecticut, Newport, Rhode Island, Wakefield, Rhode Island, mm-hmm. where we live.
3: Yeah, my dad went through OCS at Newport back in the day. Yeah, 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 it's a great place. Yeah, I knew a guy from Rhode Island who was his, his like raison d'être was to make sure that we made sure he wasn't from Massachusetts. And he said, "Those are <laughs> those are massholes." I'm a roadie. What is it about that? <laughs>
4: There's a little sort of red-headed stepchild syndrome there, <laughs> you know, between Rhode Island and Massachusetts. I wasn't going to bring up the phrase about Massachusetts residents that you did, but I've certainly heard it spoken. <laughs> and Similarly about people from Connecticut. Yeah, listen, Rhode Island's a chippy little state, you know. It's the smallest state in the Union. It's got a little complex about it, mm-hmm. but... Um, it's gorgeous, and, you know, when you get to know the people, they're great.
3: One of the most misleading states, too, because it's not actually an island.
4: That's correct. <laughs> yeah, until well, the shortest state with the longest name. Um, oh. The actual name of the state was, until quite recently, uh, the state of Rhode Island and Providence Plantations. Wow. And they dropped, you know, for, I think, good reasons, Providence Plantations. But, uh, yeah, Rhode Island only refers to Aquidneck Island, which is where Newport is.
3: I wonder Isn't
4: it fascinating to everybody. No, it
3: is. I wonder why plantation is offensive now. That's weird. I don't know. No.
4: Well, I think plantation because of the the, no, the echoes I'm, of slavery.
3: Yes, yeah. I. I'm, I'm just kidding.
4: Okay, uh I'm sorry, So I'm a little <laughs> tired, so I'm not picking up on you know. Got you. Irony. All
3: right. Well, I'll just throw one more question at you. I'll let you go. Danny Ryan, are you already or when you were writing him, did you already picture who will play him in the movie or the Netflix series? No. No,
4: there is going to be a movie, um, but no, I never do that, man, because only bad things can happen if you're imagining a movie while you're writing a book. Mm. You either write a bad novel, you write a bad film treatment, but nothing good can come of it, so I never think about that.
3: All right, Don Winslow, City on Fire. This is the beginning of the uh, Danny Ryan trilogy. You want to get it. It's already kicking butt online. It's going to be a huge hit. Uh, Don, congratulations and thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Rick Tittle Podcast on the 8Side Network. Stay tuned for more.
0: Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK systems through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
2: Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. (sighs) Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support. Catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named Best Hybrid Mattress 5 Years Running. mattresses, and select goods. That's leesa.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.
3: All right. Thank you for that. Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast around the globe, American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure to welcome to the show author Marie Sutro. has a uh, brand new book called Dark Obsessions. It is coming out tomorrow from Pismo Publishing Marie, welcome to the show. And with a name like that, we think Baths, we think Tower. Are you part of the San Francisco Sutros?
1: Hi, Rick. I am not, unfortunately. I, I wish that I were because it is a, a storied legacy.
3: But you do have San Francisco roots that go way back, right?
1: I do. <laughs> um, actually, my when it comes to law enforcement, my father served in the SFPD. As did my grandfather and my great grandfather.
3: Wow! So your great grandfather—he was helping put out fires for the earthquake.
1: Absolutely, and picking up bricks uh, when when all the buildings went down, and and there was a there was a, a lot to do at that time.
3: Wow! You could probably uh, write a book about that.
1: I know, I know, and and there's uh, one actually particularly. Harrowing, uh, but also equally moving story in our family history where, um, you know, normally the family members would be stationed in different precincts. But my great-grandfather and my grandfather actually ended up both getting called out to a shootout. And they were both there exchanging gunfire. And I always, you know, that that story just always gives me the chills because I, I think what would it be like for a 4A, father to know his son is in that situation or a son to know his father is in that and how do you have that clarity in the moment, you know?
3: Yeah, forget Kate Barnes. There's your next book.
1: (laughs) You're right, Rick.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about Kate Barnes because she is an SFPD detective. She is the protagonist and this is uh, a follow-up uh, book to dark associations. So, dark obsessions takes us outside of the city, doesn't it?
1: That's correct. In the first book, uh, Kate was a rookie detective, and she went up against an insidious serial killer. And the case left her with a lot of trauma. So she's taking some time off and hoping to go back and deal with some issues that have popped up out of her past as a result of this. So she heads up to Washington State to seek out her mother. But while there, a body is discovered, and local law enforcement reaches out to her for help.
3: Tell us a little bit more about Kate Barnes, and how much of Kate Barnes is Marie (laughs) Sutro?
1: I I wish that it were more, Rick. (laughs) Uh, Kate is a very, very gutsy gal. And she is is very strong, very loyal person, um, wants to help people, and, and is very compelled to do so. Um, and, and I think in, in those regards, we are similar. Uh, when it comes to the fact that, you know, she's out there battling bad guys, I really can't take a paper cut, so um, I'm more comfortable pecking out letters <laughs> on my keyboard, than I am uh, being out there in that adventurous way. Uh, but I, I really admire her character. She comes from, you know, all the great strong women that were in my life, and and that I've had the opportunity to to see as I've grown up. And 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 I really love her.
3: When you create a character like that, how much of it is she? alive in your head, like, well, Kate would respond this way or that way. And then another thing, like, how flawed do I want to make her? How physically beautiful do I want to make her? Like, how do you come up with all those things?
1: That's a really good question. Um, it, it's something that takes a lot of time. You know, if you're, you're writing a smaller character, maybe a, a, a character that's only in one scene, right, you think, okay, well, this is a utilitarian thing. What do I need this person to be here? But when you look at a protagonist, that takes a lot longer. And developing the character profile is so important. And, you know, you still have to be open as time goes on, that if you feel there's, there's places that they should go or maybe things about them that you didn't even know should be in there, but as the story develops, uh, it, it necessitates it. But, yeah, someone like a protagonist or your antagonist takes the most amount of time. And really, uh, with, with Kate, for me, one of the most important things was making sure that she had legs to her because I knew I wanted it to be a series. So knowing that there were different elements to her personality, like you mentioned flaws, for example. Um, when you're writing a series, you want someone who can grow over the course of time with the leader and, and evolve in different ways. So those were all really important elements that went into creating her character.
3: A couple more questions from Marie Sutro, author of Dark Obsessions, out tomorrow. When you did your first book, Dark Associations, you thought, I think I got a good book here. But when complete strangers were saying, oh my gosh, I love the book and I want another one, how gratifying and surreal was that?
1: That was over the top. When I, when I first sat down and decided that I wanted to write, I loved writing, loved reading my whole life. Um, but I was, I was intimidated, you know, and I, I had had this whole corporate life before I actually started writing uh, because, honestly, I was afraid to do it. I was afraid, to, you know, what if people don't like this? So my goal when I first wrote my first book was, can I just get one person that I don't know just to be entertained for a few hours out of their life. If I could take them out of whatever's going on, whatever negativity is in their life, be it big or small, and just bring them through the looking glass into another world, that was all I was really looking for. And so when the response came back as positive as it did, uh, and to this day, anytime anyone ever tells me they enjoy one of my stories, it it just, it it's, I don't even have words for it. it. It, it puts me over the moon.
3: It's very cool. And then, now, after this next book, you're going to have dedicated fans. Now that you have two books, people really know Kate. And then if you go for a third, they're going to tell you what you're doing wrong because they're going to feel like they know Kate better. Are you are you ready for that?
1: It's <laughs> so funny you say that. <laughs> Actually, even in the first book, you know, one of the things I love to do is book clubs. Um, you know, the pandemic kind of changed that. You have to do them virtually sometimes. But now we're getting out there a little bit more in person. Uh, But even with the first book, it was absolutely astonishing to me to see how even within a book club, you could get people potentially arguing about, well, Kate did this because of this. But you, but you don't understand. Think about why she did it. She did it because of this, you know. And so, even seeing individual <laughs> leaders potentially drawing out different things and thinking, oh, she should do this, or she should do that, or she feels this way, it, it's great because they're talking about someone as if they're real, you know. And that's that's where the magic happens for me is when when people are vested in her.
3: Yeah, I w- I, that was something that. Uh I remember in uh, junior high, and they were saying, why, why did Oliver Twist do this or that? And I said, you mean, why did Dickens write it? He didn't do anything. He never existed. But, <laughs> but it's no fun yeah, to talk yeah. like that, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. So it's, it's so much fun when that happens, when, when people embrace the magic. I, I love that.
3: And so how many people have asked you, uh, or do they have a suggestion for which actress is going to play Kate Barnes?
1: Oh, you know that's that's a funny one, and I get that a lot and And my answer um, some people think it's it's maybe a little too too much of a political answer, but it's actually really true. And my answer is, I really don't care who plays her as long as they can get the character and represent who Kate is. Um, you know, if it was Kate's a brunette, if they want to get someone who's blonde and they think blonde works better, Hey, that's great. If she's tall, she's short. As long as they can represent the core of the character, I think that's what people are interested in.
3: When you said it's a political answer, I thought you were going to say, I think AOC should play Kate.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not that political, just literary political, (laughs) (laughs) right?
3: Um, and then, you know, what, what? what was something if you can share with us that maybe was too dark that or grisly or depressing that maybe was in a first draft and you're like, ah, I, I don't want to, I don't want to leave that in.
1: Um, there was in the first book, um, there is a, a, a child whose mother gets taken. And the original way that I was writing that draft, um, when I was sitting down to write it, I thought, well, gee, how could I how could I frame this? What would be the most powerful and impactful? And just for a fleeting second the thought crossed my mind that the child might be there when the mother was taken. And I immediately, as quick as that thought came into my head, it went out because I just said, you know, I, I just can't go there when it comes to little kids. Um that young. I think he's, what is he, four years old or something. And mm-hmm. I just, I, you know, that was, for me, that was just a little bit, a little bit too far. I also, um, oddly have hang ups about animals too. <laughs> I can't let anything happen to an animal in my book.
3: <laughs> well, last question for you, because in this book, as we talked about, uh, you said Kate finds a a ravaged corpse. So do you say, She found a ravaged corpse, or do you go in and describe every maggot?
1: Uh, I don't describe every maggot. What's interesting, when you talk about reader feedback, um, in general, uh, especially in the the first book, because the the first book, the way that the the story unfolds, um, there are a series of, of bodies found. And it was interesting to me because some people thought, wow, you're such a grisly writer. This is so in your face. And, and it was interesting because I, when I approach my stories, I actually approach them kind of in a cinematic way with Alfred Hitchcock in mind, where I'm building up the suspense so much for what's going to happen, but then I, kind of like in the movie Spellbound, where the gun turns around towards the camera and you're waiting for it to go off and then the screen just goes black, uh, I cut away. And then we'll come back and maybe you'll meet a coroner or someone who will explain what happened. And it's really interesting to me because even the coroner explaining it in a very dry, you know, factual way horrifies people as if they were experiencing it firsthand, which I don't typically do. I don't typically get into that firsthand experience where the reader is living through everything that the victim is going through. So it's really interesting to me because I, I have this technique for it that people still find it and are still so so incredibly moved by It's um, is, is really interesting to me.
3: Well, this is going to be another hit. It's called Dark Obsessions, available tomorrow from Pismo Publishing, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you get good books. And we've been speaking with the highly talented Marie Sutro. Marie, thanks for coming on the show and congratulations on the project.
1: Thank you so much, Rick, and thank you for having me today.
3: This has been the Rick Tittle Podcast on the 8Side Network.
2: I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for The Everyday Guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual.